What is going on, guys? And welcome to another episode of the Beyond Rad podcast. My name is Chad, and this week we were joined by Johnny Zirkel of the Wildfires Project. So the Wildfires Project is much more than just his music project that Johnny does. It's uh, it encompasses a lot of different or focuses that he has, really to try and combat fear, anxiety, depression, anger, addiction. He he took on this project to really use it as a release, and you're going to hear a little bit more about that in the interview. But he's also taken this project and and used it for the revival of of a music scene that that has kind of shrunk over time as well as to uh, to try and help to create anti-bullying campaigns and suicide prevention. So, I mean, Johnny's just a super awesome guy and he's super talented, super hardworking as well. And I'm really excited for you guys to to hear this interview. But before we jump in, make sure you swing on over to, to the Wildfires Project on social media, but then also be sure to check out the Sounds of the Underground which is his TV series that he has on CBS, actually, where he gets to have live bands on. And it's it's a really cool thing. You're going to hear more about it in the interview. So be sure to check that out as well. And without further ado, let's just jump right on in. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, I always like to start out just, you know, quick introduction um, of yourself, and then we can start talking about, obviously, the, the music and, and your project. Sounds good. All right. Um, my name's Johnny Zirkel. I am the founding and technically only member of the Wildfires Project. I had started this year back to focus on uh, different topics than previous bands I'd been in, and that's kind of in a nutshell before we get into some more questions cool man so uh so how long how long you been doing the uh, the wildfires project i had started it a couple years ago but when i first did it was more i guess you could say a therapeutic thing um i put out a record but there wasn't too much going on to push it i was kind of worn out from being on the road for you know, nine months out of the year for years and years. So I just kind of wrote it and I put it out. And then as things started to progress in my life and a lot more um, relations were built musically and things like that, uh, became a lot more of a, uh, a serious, okay, let's get out there and start really pushing the music again type of thing. Sure. So, uh, so obviously it sounds like, um, it looks like, so, uh, that first one was, was it a letter to myself? Was that one, right? Yes. And you can kind of tell by the title how it's uh, a very, Therapeutic, yeah, yeah. Self-reflective type of, of recording. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I mean, since then you've been, you've been fairly consistent with, uh, with new music. Obviously I actually, uh, I was really excited. So, um, oh, what was it two months ago a month ago that you released your newest ep right yeah so so we we had two different releases this year so far we had from which we came was five songs and an intro track all original uh that came out in april and we had worked with ronnie winter of the red jumpsuit apparatus Mm -hmm. on that and then yes last month we had released a the first installment of a two of a cover kind of anthology we're doing called garden statement. I'm originally from New Jersey. So it was, it's kind of like my brother says it really well. It's a love letter to the New Jersey scene about the bands that we were raised on. And that made this style of music and music in general. Yeah. Very popular. Um, So we're going to do it in two song installments. It's pretty much going to go in between every time we release new original music. Oh, cool. So first two songs we did were Bleed For You by Hidden in Plain View and then To The End by My Chemical Romance. Yeah. Honestly, they were they were freaking fantastic. I hey. uh so so when the EP dropped, I uh um I'm always like 
looking at my my new music radar and i'm typically going to um you know as many independent sites as i can to find the the releases yeah. that aren't going to show up necessarily on my radar right off the bat. And uh, at the top of the list was the wildfires project. And I was like, all right, let's check it out. And uh, I was like, dude, this is super sick. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. <laughs> obviously the music is fantastic. I and, uh, and so it sounds like you had been doing um, like, obviously you were part of bands prior to, uh, to doing the wildfires project. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so how long have you been doing music for? So I've actually only technically been a part of one other band. Uh, it was a band that my brother and I started probably in, I think, eighth grade, really. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, we had been doing that seriously uh, from 2008, we say, because that's when we played our first major festival when we were like 15 years old. It was Bamboozle in New Jersey, and then we did Warped wow, Tour and stuff. Um, we did that through until 2016. We did a lot of nonprofit work, but some things around that time really beat us down. So it was time for a break. Yeah. Um, we never really had, I never went in and out of other bands because myself is a guitarist and a songwriter and singer. And then my brother is the drummer and a singer. You know, we always just figured, okay, we'll just find new members. I would think keep the same name. Sure. Um, but yeah, I've been doing this for uh, professionally 12 years now. That's awesome, man. I mean, uh, the fact that you were on the road for uh, for nine months out of the year means that that you obviously had something going. But yeah, uh, I, I definitely I can definitely I can only imagine, but I can definitely imagine that uh, um, that that would be pretty darn exhausting and be and just beating the tar out of you just emotionally, mentally, physically, everything. Yeah. And it was it was also because we had done that uh, that band for so long. It. And we had listened to way too many people on who we should be and yeah. how we should get there. It just became very convoluted and who we were when we started the band uh, wasn't who we were at the end. And it was yeah. just time for me personally to to make a change and kind of move past who I was then and then start something new and move forward from it. Sure. Can't blame you. I mean, it's uh, I feel like I feel like that's one of the most like sad things to see is uh is how people kind of try to 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 pigeonhole or control the the yeah. creative creativity of a band just because they're fans or they they claim quote unquote know better um and i i don't know man that just that seems like that would be one of the roughest things especially in your position yeah. where it is it is such a creative it's more than just you know making like a career it's it's a creative outlet it's something that's that's mm-hmm. giving you like therapy basically and so i'd imagine that that kind of takes away all of the therapeutic as- uh, aspects of it when you when you uh, <laughs> are bit. being told what to do <laughs> yeah i mean there, there's obviously an extent it is it is a business you know you have to think of things sure. sometimes um i mean no matter what anybody says on the outside you do have to make sit you know decisions more based around business that's why you know every single band no matter who it is they have some sort of pop oriented track yeah sure um because it's what you need to do but there does come to a point where it's like all right you know who am i as an artist i need to kind of sit down and reinvent that and figure that out yeah so obviously that's where wildfires project came from yes and so were these songs that you had kind of like you know when it came to to that first ep were these songs that you had already been kind of writing and they were just ready to to be put out, but just couldn't, they didn't fit under the other band or was it you, you stopped making music there and you were just like, all right, now I can let my creativity flow. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say there was even really so much of a, of a plan more than it just kind of happened. We had stopped the band and I wasn't a hundred percent sure what I was going to do after that, as far as music, but I knew it was going to be music. Uh, so I just started writing songs here and there and, buddy of mine uh his his friend was opening a studio and he was like hey you know they'll record a song for free see how that goes so that kind of started putting the um no pun intended fire under (laughs) us to start you know doing more and that's kind of where the name took shape and things like that and then uh decided okay you know it's time to do a record called up a buddy of mine who did 
all of our past music. We flew back to New Jersey, did the record. Four of the five songs had been written by then. Okay. And then a letter to myself, you know, the, the title track actually was, was written on the spot. I had a, oh, wow. yeah, kind of, there's always one song on every record that we've done that I went in and I was like, Hey, you know, what do you guys think of this guitar riff? And of course they're like, Oh, that's great. You know, write a whole song by tomorrow. So that's where that one came from. And it always tends to be like one of the best songs we do. So that's cool. Yeah, That was the first record. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to make. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. So, uh, so was your brother involved initially as well? Or is he, did you guys kind of creatively just kind of go separate ways? He, he is more or less an, an official unofficial member um for the most part he does all the drumming in the studio okay he does do the drumming when we do live shows but at this point in his life he's he's not able to commit to that rigorous you know sleep on the floor schedule we used to do so he helps when he can he does all the graphic design the album covers the t-shirts and stuff like that um you know but at the end of the day it is me um doing you know most of the work yeah for sure and uh i guess with with how it started um you know being this kind of release is it is it evolving now as you've been doing this for a few years or is it still is it still kind of like hey i'm kind of beat down by the the typical uh the typical um uh, situation with bands, you know, where you got to kind of do all of these different things or, or is it, are you kind of getting back into the, the swing of, of kind of full time getting back on the, obviously not right now because of COVID, but like getting yeah. back on the road and stuff. No, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely back into it. Okay. Um, last year I was working at some place and it was a sketchy, uh, <laughs> television production house. And while I was there, I had this idea to start a TV series of my own for up and coming and established artists. So I quit that job, you know, pretty much right around that time. They said one thing to me and I was done and I quit and I started working on a show sounds of the underground that oh, cool, I developed. And we worked with some great artists. We worked with August Burns red, Craig Owens. We brought Halifax back for a 10 year reunion. And then most significantly we had Ronnie winter, from the red jumpsuit apparatus on. Yeah. And through that we became good friends and he had produced, uh, the record for us and wrote with us from which we came, which had just come out this year, uh, before everything being postponed, he put us on tour with them. And now that's all postponed. I've been filming another season of the show. So last week we filmed 10 bands in two days. Dang. Um, and then we're working on another EP at the moment with Ronnie. So very busy trying to do as much as we can, you know, with the time that we have right now. And hopefully when it clears up, we'll be on the road um, for as far as we can see. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, what a cool band to be working with, too. I uh, I mean, I've been a huge fan of the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus for for years and years <laughs> they're uh yeah. um one of their new songs has been just on repeat constantly for me Brace yourself yep it's just so yeah, catchy was, bro so catchy. i was in the studio like hearing the mixes back and forth between the mix engineer and and ronnie but um yeah it's a surreal thing for us too because um he actually performed with us on the show he agreed to do that oh nice and he was a guest vocalist on our song letter to myself which the track I noticed, is up yeah i noticed yeah. that that was cool so it, you know, it's surreal because when we had our very first CD, when we were in high school, that sounded absolutely horrible. Um, <laughs> we gave it to the band at, at one of the shows and, you know, so many years later now he's actually producing our music for us. That's so in a cool. completely organic way. Yeah. That's so cool, man. So, so tell me about this show. You said it was uh, what was it? Underground. Sounds of the underground. Sounds yeah. of the underground. Sounds super sick. Honestly, like <laughs> the idea of it is just is really really cool. So tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah. So you know, kind of everything now in the past couple of years has has been fairly stemmed from the the different issues that I personally had with the industry and the different politics of it and how smaller bands are held back, even though a lot of times they can be better than the bands that are getting the recognition, you know, and a lot of times in things like pop music, you know, a lot of people, they're not the ones writing the song. It's someone else and someone else is getting the credit for it. So 
I decide to start this show. Nobody pays to be on. No one has to do some sort of contest. I just find bands that I like and then get some larger artists to perform on the show as well, put it all together and then uh, pay CBS to give us some airtime. And then I, I have it on other streaming services we're signing deals with right now, but everything is organic. I get no funding whatsoever from any networks. So it's definitely a labor of love and so you know, cool, hopefully man. it grows and we can get, you know, different people who just understand what we're doing and, and support it. You know, that kind of angel donor type of thing. So we can really do a lot more with it. Yeah, man. So, so the idea is I'm assuming just kind of based on, on the title as yep. well as what you're talking about, I'm assuming the idea is to just share, um, share music, yeah, it's, share the it's bands. It's all about giving so a lot of the issue, you know, we had growing up is performing with a larger band. There was always something to it that wasn't necessarily possible. So this yeah. gives younger artists the ability to essentially open for a bigger band in a television format. So, you know, they get that benefit of having people who might just be watching August Burns Red see them for that. So it's set up like a concert where it goes, generally speaking, um, at least for this coming season, smaller band, middle band, major band. So it's yeah. like the, the local, the direct support and headliner. And then we interview them as well. And then because it's a show that is obviously focused on sound and music, we're also adding an element in where we kind of explain the equipment we're using, you know, why we chose this drum set, because that way we can kind of integrate fans of music as well as creators of music into what we're doing. Wow, man. I mean, obviously, that's a ton of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a... Uh, it's just a couple of us. That's so, so, uh, are you, are you doing like, are all the bands in a, in like a studio location or is it, is everyone recording things remotely and, and you're compiling it? How's that work? So we luckily were able to pull off getting 10 artists to come in last Thursday and Friday, uh, in those two days. So those were obviously very tight schedules those days. Yeah. Um, before all this happened, we were able to film Scary Kids Scaring Kids at one of the reunion wow. shows. Now, because of the you know the way everything is, we're asking some of the larger bands who you know they can no longer come in because they weren't touring through the area. If they want to just film it on their own, and they can send it to us, and then we'll build it into the program, do a Skype style interview, something like that. Um, so it's definitely been challenging. We originally were filming in April, and all that got thrown off. Oh, um, so frustrating. So, you know, it, it, you just got to kind of take it as it come and, and can't stress over things you can't control. Sure. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, there's no better reason for not doing something than a major pandemic. <laughs> so, so how do people find it? Uh, so last season we did have some great PR support. Um, this year we're taking a different approach, but as far as finding it easily on the internet, uh, we have a YouTube channel. Sounds of the Underground TV is what it is. And the website is also sounds of the underground TV.com. And the Instagram is sounds of the underground TV. Um, so they can see all the past episodes, individual performances right now. And then as far as um, our Instagram, once we have a better outline of when the show will be released, we'll start doing the kind of behind the scenes, building up to the show promotion type things like that. Um, so we're hoping for October, but that's if we can get, you know, all the bands and stuff consolidated within sure. that time frame. Dude, you are a workaholic, man. Yeah, just, a little bit. Just crushing <laughs> it. So I, I mean, I obviously, this is uh, this is obviously another project of yours. And so I, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily a, a distraction, but I, I do want to focus obviously on, on your music project. So how, yeah, how do the two tie together for you? So it, it was, a way, like I said, you know, for us starting out in my other band, it was always difficult to get certain opportunities. You know, labels never really actually cared unless you were, you know, doing this, this and that. So yeah, it was sure. my way of saying, you know what, we don't need big machines, you know, while they're great, you know, you can do it on your own. You don't yeah. have to rely upon someone with the biggest budget, the biggest PR. If you want to do something and make it happen, do it. And that allowed me also to put my band in front of people without having to deal with any other larger system that could convolute it. 
Right. Dang. That's awesome. So now, so now obviously you're helping smaller bands. You're, I mean, you've obviously said you're re you've got a lot of reunions of big uh-huh. bands that have had obviously a big presence, um, throughout the, the music scene. And, uh, and so for yourself, um, with, with the, uh, the wildfires project, um, how much, I guess, how much of your time are, are, it sounds like everything is full time. Like you, you probably don't have time for like a quote unquote regular job. Do you? <laughs> um, I mean, before the pandemic, I was doing both. I Dang. was taking off time when I needed to, to tour, when I needed to record. Um, and then now of course, you know, I have plenty of time. I wouldn't mind having a regular job, but I can't be in a mask all day long. And, you know, this is really giving me time to focus on, what I need to focus on for what I actually like to do. Sure. Dang, man. I, I mean, I just am, I'm amazed. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Dude, that's super cool. So, so I guess, um, with, uh, with the wildfires project, you, you were working or you were on tour with, with red jumpsuit. Is that Uh tour, has that tour been rescheduled? You're going to be back out on tour with them again when things get back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. So, I mean, everything, is kind of, is very up in the air right now. We originally supposed to have our, it was originally April and then it was moved to June. We're praying on October ish, which would be great. Cause that's, you know, kind of when we want the show to come out, but yeah. who knows where things are going to go. We kind of, it happened to be that when this broke out, it was our California set of dates. I'm sure if it was like Wisconsin, we still would have done them. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we're just, taking it one step at a time and hopefully we'll be out there soon. Heck yeah, man. So on tour, is it, are you solo or are you, do you have a band that's out on tour with you? Um, I have people who come and perform with me for part of the last tour. It was my brother. Uh, I have a bass player that I use now. So yeah, you know, I try not to do anything just solo right now because while acoustic is great, it's not something I've never felt comfortable with. I'd always watch other bands and be like, wow, they sound great acoustic. And then when I play, I'm like, why don't I sound like that? acoustic?" <laughs> so yeah, it's just preference to me. I'd rather have a full band. It gets what we're doing across more in my opinion. Yeah. And it matches the energy of the show that you're at too. Right. Yeah. That's, that's always something that, that I feel like would be difficult unless it's like a one-off show where you're doing acoustic, like, when mm-hmm. it's consistently with with a high energy band, you don't want to be the band that's kind of showing up and playing soft. <laughs> yeah, especially because the second half of the tour was going to be uh, Red Jumpsuit, I Set to Kill, and Dead Americans. So you know all that. I mean, granted, it could be some people might enjoy it a little bit of break, but I'd rather jump around on stage myself as yeah. well. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so with the project with with the Wildfires project, is it? Uh, um, like, is it a lot different now um, than than your initial band that you were in? Are you starting to, is, is it like, I guess, does that make yeah. sense? Like, is it a lot different than, than what it was before? It's, it's definitely much different than uh, the previous band I was a part of. That was, it, it was very much, at that time, it was, you know, you write songs about girls and, and <laughs> things like that, that, you know, it wasn't always my favorite interests and there was certain things we couldn't really do in that band like screaming and more aggressive types of approaches which in this project since it's just me I have the ability to kind of express myself with any music vocal techniques lyrics that I want and I don't have to worry about someone being like well I don't want to play that or something like that yeah that's that makes sense and are you are you the sole writer like um, are you, are you also putting like instrument parts together or, or are you kind of coming with a, with a guitar part with kind of a melody and an idea and you have other people contribute to, to create the, um, the surrounding music or how does that work for you? So everything except for the, the current record we're working on now that hasn't been released yet. Um, generally speaking, most of those songs I brought in fairly close to being completed with a demo and everything. And then um, someone like Ronnie or other producers I've worked with, they'll take it and be like, okay, this lyric doesn't make sense. Change it. This melody can be better. Um, So I do try to be involved as much in the writing as possible. 
Nice. But if someone handed me a hit song, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> so you said aside from the newest record. So what changed with between what you've already released and the new one that's going to be coming out? I think um, I think the main thing is probably actually the uh, pandemic, because previously we would have been on tour right now. I'd be, you know, writing music as I went along, watching how the previous record panned out. But with all this time on our hands and, and no other way to really publicize ourselves, it came down to me and um, John Espy, who's actually the drummer of Red Jumpsuit. We live in the same town. So we're just like, hey, why don't we just work on music? Um, so we've been together writing songs. Nice. And then Ronnie's going to you know, produce them from afar and we'll go back and forth via the Internet. Nice. Thank goodness for that, man. The internet makes yeah. a world of difference. <laughs> so, so is it like, um, would you say that it was uh, obviously different is, is going to be a word, but would you say it was more difficult or easier? Or was it just kind of, um, just different in general when it came to, to writing with, um, with someone else as opposed to writing by yourself for this project? I, I think writing with someone else, the only difference is, um, I mean, everyone's opinion in the studio always matters, but when you're writing with someone, there has to be more of a compromise, which ultimately does end in a better song. But when you're in the moment, if you have an idea you really like and the other person doesn't, because you're doing it together as equals, you know, you have to figure a way out and you can't just be like, well, it's, you know, it's my thing. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot more, you have to have a lot more flexibility, which you know, maybe like in 2010 when I was writing music, I would have been too immature to have. Yeah. But now for me, it's, you know, what's best for the song, what's going to you know make the most impact might not be my idea, but it's what's best for the song. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, and do you feel like, do you feel like the songs because you have someone else contributing and because there is that, that give and take, do you feel like there's a, a different energy to it or is it still, is it still very oh, absolutely. consistent? Um, so, you know, starting a song on my own and bringing it almost complete, there's only so much someone else can do to tweak it. Yeah. But when you're working on it together, you're getting all of their ideas and all of your ideas at the same time. There's, you know, more room to make it different. Yeah. So, so uh, just to, to kind of get in my understanding, basically it's that the song is more full throughout the whole process as opposed to the end where, where someone else is, is saying, Hey, let's, let's change these few things from the beginning. You're, you're kind of building it bigger. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. You're building it together instead of, you know, it's kind of like now that I think about it, raising a child, (laughs) if, you know, if you're involved in raising the child from the beginning, both, you know, both parents have, they, um, imprint on the child, their different yeah. ideas and values and ways of growing. But if you're raised by a single parent, you pretty much have those sole ideas. And if someone comes in later, it's kind of hard to break what that person already knows. Yeah. You know, the same with a song, if you're in it together from the start, both ideas are in there. If you come in later, there's only so much you can do to, to change it, to elevate it. Yeah. Or else it'd be completely rewriting it. And then it'd be the yeah. same process as writing it from scratch with someone anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's, that's a good analogy. Honestly, that's, that's a good way of, <laughs> of looking at it. Cause like, I, I'm always interested about like the writing process. Cause, cause I, I wrote a lot of music, um, you know, throughout high school and, and post high school, I wrote quite a bit, but it, it just kind of, I, I never wrote with someone else really. Like when it came to, to lyrics or melodies, people would contribute mm-hmm. to, to kind of fill out the, the empty spots or yeah. to en- enhance the melody. But, uh, but I feel like it, there was, there was some opportunities left on the table because it was just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely how it was in my previous project. I was the sole writer and didn't really, um, involve others as much. And now that I've opened up to it, definitely it's, it's much better. Yeah. So I guess, uh, as you, as you've been making music for so long and, and, you know, you even talked about how kind of surreal it is. You, you gave your, your original music that you said sucked, but I, I'm sure it was actually good enough. But <laughs> you, you know, said, what? the songs were decent. It was just the, the recording was 
it's like there was no bass and only treble. It was <laughs> crazy. Oh man, that's that's just the MySpace days in my mind, you yeah. know. <laughs> oh man, those are those are good times. So like that that process of of going from there, you know, passing your music off to these bands that you were kind of idolizing, and now working with them, what? Like, is it, it, was it super surreal to have this stuff kind of start happening or was it just like, you know, you said it was organic that they've, you started working with them, but was it organic to, to make that transition to start working with these people you, you previously idolized? Yeah. I mean, there's still somewhat of a a shock and awe when you, when you start thinking to yourself like, wow, like I never, ever thought this would happen. It's happening. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're all good friends now. So, I mean, there's, there's still that little kid inside me. That's like, wow, this is really happening. But then there's the other side. It's like, they're just people, you know, we're yeah. friends now. We talk to each other like anyone else would. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely cool. That's yeah. That's what I imagine. Like, I mean, every time I've ever met someone who, you know, musically, like someone who I looked up to, they were always just down to earth, real people. But it's still mm-hmm. there's there's like you said, there's always kind of that that childlike awe about just being like, man, they are so talented. They're so good at what they do. This is awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, I want to jump. I want to jump back in time because you started early. Fifteen is is pretty young to start. I mean, especially to play a big festival. Um, typically, yeah. I mean, especially that festival there in New Jersey. Um, that's a that's a pretty big one. Um, there's a lot of bands that come there, right? Isn't it a three day festival? Yeah, it was it was a three day festival, then it turned into kind of went away, and then they brought it back as skate and surf. But I mean, we played the year after Black Parade came out. It was like, a, and they toured it. It was it yeah. was a massive thing. Yeah, so it's huge. So so at 15, how like why music? You know, like that's obviously a broad question, but like, why, why go to music and, and start doing that? I mean, I got my first guitar when I was seven and I kind of have to hand it to my mom that she, I got the guitar, but we, we moved and I was young and my hands were small. So I, you know, I kind of just fell out of it and I wanted to play the drums. And my mom said, I couldn't learn how to play the drums until I learned the guitar because she paid for it. Uh, and then slowly but surely, you know, as you listen to music, you start thinking, wow, you want to create that. And I remember when I was a kid, I was at a Billy Idol concert and he shook my hand and said I was going to be on stage one day. So nice. I, mean, I guess just little things like that place things in your head. And then it's just a matter of if you go for it or not. Yeah. So do you remember like your first your first concert you played? Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. I do. What, what, like, how was it? I, I'm always curious about these ones, you know, those, that, that very first time you get up on stage, how, how did it feel and how was it? Felt great. I mean, it was like, I, I, the first time we played original music on stage was at like the eighth grade talent show at the middle school. And at the time I was, I was homeschooled for two years. So like I hadn't seen those kids in forever and then I played on stage and all of a sudden I was so cool because they hadn't seen me and now I'm playing guitar on stage. Yeah. And it, it was definitely, you know, interesting, you know, middle school crap. But, you know, at the <laughs> time it was like, wow, I had never felt this cool before. I was such a nerd before. <laughs> and then, you, you know, people didn't know that you were still that same nerd, but you just played guitar now. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's one of the best things to me is is the idea of like you add the guitar and like instantly they yeah. they become super cool. And then I think yeah. of like I think of people like like William Ryan Key, right? Like he's Oh yeah. Like he's an ultra Star Wars nerd, which oh, I love I am nerd. too. And it's like but like you wouldn't I guess when you first look at it, you're like, dude, this guy's cool. And he's obviously he is cool, but it's like he's also yeah. cool. He's also a nerd. It's just awesome. <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just spent way too much money on Magic the Gathering cards that I'm waiting on. Oh, nice, dude. <laughs> Do you um so I I've actually never played Magic. I've played a bunch of different ones, but uh, are you like a, a Dungeons and uh, a Dungeons guy too? I've always wanted to get into it, but I don't have enough people around me that also want to get into it. So okay. it's a little hard. 
But uh, no, I've always wanted to play and learn how to how to play D and D. Yeah, yeah. I used to play other tabletop games like Mage Knight and um, uh, what's Hero Clicks. But okay. yeah, those games got expensive. I mean, yeah. Magic the Gathering is no different. But yeah, there's there's a bunch of. I mean, I I've looked at like some of the collector stores and stuff, and you see those. I I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know much about Magic, but I. I've seen the cards and what they're retailing, oh, yeah. what they're selling for. And I'm like, holy smokes, that resale value is insane. <laughs> yeah. Especially the early, early cards. So how long have you been playing magic? I, I played it in middle school and then fell out of it and fall back in. There's like a, an actual cycle that they've found where people like play it really heavily for a few years. Then, you know, fall out and then something interesting will happen and they'll get right back into it. So kind of been like that that's cool do you play it on on the computer at all no i'd rather have the actual cards in my hand yeah i wasn't sure if there's any like like that'd be kind of cool if there's a way to like digitize the cards that you already have and kind of have your own deck built up and stuff but uh, yeah that's i mean there's a lot of there's obviously there's a ton of strategy involved but then there's a lot of collecting and just kind of like the pride that goes into this collection that you have and i I think I would be on the same page as you. I like the the tangible, like I like a physical object to be in my hands as opposed to something digital. Yeah. So uh, I guess kind of um, jumping back into, into your project, obviously um, with, with everything going on with the pandemic, you've, you said you've obviously got another album that you've been working on throughout the whole pandemic. Um, it, it's obviously you've put out uh what is it? Seven songs thus far to the EP and then part one of the garden statements. Um, what's kind of the, the timeline or plan going forward? Um, I mean, we'd like to release this next record. Um, I think we're, we're hoping for mid August, early September kind of oh, just nice. depends on how things you know circle around. But, Sweet. um, yeah, you know, we just kind of have to take everything as we can. Luckily, you know, me and the person helping to write and produce it is right in my town. So it's not like we have to wait for a studio to open. Yeah, we actually did the first part of Garden Statement and actually a lot of the last record just in his garage. Um, so, yeah, that's so cool, man. That's so I mean, it's it's convenient that that you obviously you have the skills and he's got the skills. and You can just kind of put them together to do that. Oh yeah, he's he's very talented for sure. So, are you involved in production as well? Or I, I know obviously that's kind of a broad um, topic, mm-hmm. but are you are you also kind of versed in in the process of producing the music as well? Yeah, I mean, I, from being in the studio, I've always been one to to actually watch and learn while in there. Okay, uh, it's something I would never trust myself to do my own work. Uh, as far as producing it, it's always nice to have someone else, but I've, I've done some work for other artists and some writing and things like that. So it is something I do, um, something I like to do and we'll, we'll see, you know, if I do more in the future, I'm always happy to, I got a small little studio set up in a room in my house. So oh, nice. Yeah, if anybody wants and come on by, <laughs> that's awesome, man. So, so I, I have my assumptions, but what's the, the primary reason that you wouldn't want to do your own work, like produce your own work? Um, I'd say the primary reason, even if I had the best mixing, mastering, writing skills in the world is you become too critical of what you're doing for yourself and you need someone else there to say, listen, these two things, they both sound great. It's pretty much doesn't matter which one you pick, you know, just shut up and pick one. Yeah. (laughs) And for you, do you like, do you find yourself uh, slowing down your project at all because you, you are getting hypercritical? Um, maybe in the past a little bit, but like once you get with, a producer and you know, they you're working, they'll immediately be like, listen, it's either not good or it's good. It's good. You know, otherwise just keep writing. So, um, that's why it's good to have that other person there. Okay. That makes sense. And, uh, I guess for, uh, for yourself as well, you know, throughout all the years of, of having written and, and produced and recorded and music, um, are there, you know, 
as you look back through that time, what's the the biggest thing you've learned through through your process to get to where you're at now? I guess the the biggest thing is, and it, it sounds like a cheap answer, but <laughs> you you really just have to keep grinding. You can't stop. You're going to play shows to absolutely no one except the bartender, and it sucks, but you have to do it. It's just, it's how it is. That's the only way you're going to grow. Yeah. So what, like what kept you going during those times where you're literally playing for the bartender and, and no one else? I'll be honest. A lot of times it was very depressing. Um, but you know, I kept my sights on, on what I wanted to achieve. And you know, if it's something you're really passionate about, you're going to find some way to get there. You, you have to be someone who is a go-getter and doesn't just wait for someone to help you. Yeah. Um, cause most people aren't, if you're lucky, Sadly, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm very fortunate and very lucky that Ronnie and I had met and kicked it off because before then very, very few people that actually had a significant influence in music took notice. Yeah. And I mean, even then it, it luck is, uh, is subjective at that point because it's like you wouldn't have been lucky had you not been grinding right like yeah <laughs> it's it's it, not something yeah, it's that, like 90 percent work 10 percent luck yeah exactly and it, yeah of course there is right time right place you know all that type of stuff but the fact is the only time your only way you're able to be in the right time at the right place is by having worked to get to that right time and place yeah and like we're like i'm assuming when when you quit your you know, I guess not necessarily quit, but when the, the old band kind of fizzled out, things were done. Had you, had you ever kind of thought about throwing in the towel or was it never, never even a question for you? It really wasn't an option. Um, you know, I've seen too many people do that and it's just like, I don't know. I don't know if they're miserable, but I look at them and I'm like, they must be miserable. Um, uh, <laughs> So yeah, it's just, it's something that I couldn't let myself do. Even if it was just the fact that I put too much time and work into it to not make it happen. Yeah. And off that kind of same, kind of that same strand, have you, are there any like, what ifs that you have in your mind or have you, do you feel like you've, you've done everything that you should have done? Um, I mean, there's a few, you, you mean you meet so many people who are like, Oh, I could do this for you. Oh, I could do this for you. And you know, 99% of the time that person's fake, but then you also think like, Oh, you know, what if that one person I said no to was actually the right person? Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm glad I didn't put myself in a situation that could have ended up poorly mm-hmm. by doing so. Um, so you really just, I mean, it's life, no matter what anybody says, you know, we're actually we're in the middle of writing a song about this now. Every, uh, I don't know, like little wooden phrase thing that you'll get at Home Goods that says, <laughs> you know, live life with no regrets. Guess what? You're going to have regrets and you got to live with them. Yeah. Um, that's just part of it. And once you realize that you're going to live a lot more enjoyably. Yeah. So for yourself, like. Um, I guess this is, this is going to be a two part question. What would be that big regret that you, that you maybe held on to for too long? And then the second part to that is how did you just move past it? Um, I guess it would be, there's someone we had known for a while, but that, you know, I'd always wanted to work with us, but I never felt fully comfortable um, trusting them because of different things I had heard from different artists and different bands. Sure. Uh, so there's always a part of me. It's not necessarily a big regret, but it's like, you know, what if we had started working with them? And I guess the way to move past it is just say that that's it. You know, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. It's you, you can't do anything about it now. And, you know, you're thinking maybe it was the best thing, but it also could have been the worst thing. Yeah. So, and that's the, the problem with what ifs, right. Is, is yeah. it's easy to, 
this is something that I find, especially a lot of younger people, like for myself, as I've grown older, like I'm like, one of the easiest things to do is to say what if, and then glamorize this what if as if it yeah. would have fixed everything where in reality it probably would have had very similar outcome to where I'm at right now. It's just, yeah, I just glamorize it because of, of what, you know, maybe I'm frustrated about what I chose, even though it literally, it it's, I, it's led me to a good point. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I guess, um, I want to, you know, kind of, as we, as we tie things together here, um, I want to kind of get your, um, your uh, opinions on, on kind of like the, the history you've had with music, like what some of your favorite memories of, of all the years that you've been made, you know, creating music, performing music live. What are some of like the best memories you've had? I mean, there's obviously a lot of great memories performing live. There's always, you know, certain concerts you remember, certain people you remember. We made a lot of good friends where we would end up every time we went to Missouri, we stayed with the same family and same thing with uh, every time we went to Detroit. But then there's a lot of it, you know, some of the best memories are made just hanging out with your friends on the road. We would go find these really random offbeat places. We'd go to haunted places. We'd go all these different cool places and see things that most people never will. And, you know, just the fact that I got to experience that is great. Yeah. So uh, along those same lines with, uh, you know, there's obviously going to be goods and bads about tour mm-hmm. when, when it comes down to it, what was like, when you look at the tour and you boil it down, what was the best thing about touring and the, and the worst thing about touring? The best thing about touring would have been, you know, getting to, it's, it's kind of two things. It's being able to see so much, but also have so many people listen to your music. Um, to me, there never really was a worse thing. It's like a lot of people they're like, Oh, you know, I miss my friends. I miss my girlfriend. For me, it was like, music was always the most important thing. And I never really had a ton of friends anyway. The ones I had were on the road with me. So I don't, I don't think there's anything I really disliked about it, except for those times when you had nobody to play to. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And for yourself, do you like, would you say that you ever had, or that you do have an, a quote unquote end goal in mind with, with music? I mean, the only end goal I guess you could really say is to be able to do it as a career where that is your income source and it's substantial enough for you to live an enjoyable life. Yeah. Um, you know that, I think that's the goal. Obviously, you know, there's the ideal of idea of playing Wembley stadium, doing this, this and that, but you know, if you could sustain yourself and live an enjoyable life playing music to people and recording it, you know, that's really all you can ask for. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so fun to me to like, you know, cause I can tell just by talking to you, you've got a very positive outlook on life. You're, you're someone who's going to find the, you know, find the, the ray of sunshine in a cloudy day. And yeah, uh, I kinda, I'll go from both angles. <laughs> uh, you know, I think a lot of people think too much one way or the other, but you know, if you acknowledge both sides of the coin, you're not going to be surprised when either thing happens and you'll be prepared for most things. That's a good point. So you, you basically, you, you hope for the best, expect nothing out of it. Is that kind of, yeah. Okay. That's awesome, man. Honestly, like I, I've really enjoyed talking to you cause it's, it's fun to hear your perspective. Cause I think that, that, uh, obviously you've got a unique perspective coming from having done music, traveled around a lot, kind of got burned out by, like you said, the politics of it, the, the, the kind of the the business that not necessarily the business but kind of the the frustrations of it Mm -hmm. and then you take that that energy and create this project that has now led to so much more because would you say like is the wildfires project it's it's more than just the music it's also 
the uh, the underground, you know, the music that you're also sharing with other people, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely more of um, connecting with people, focusing. I mean, when we started the project, well, when I started the project, it was heavily, heavily focused um, around mental illness. And it still is a foundation of what we do. However, you can only write the same song so many times. Yeah. So, you know, we just try to branch out into to different topics while avoiding cliches. And, you know, like one thing I, I, I don't think I have yet. But I try to avoid putting the word liar in a song because I feel like every band sings a song about someone being a liar. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, you know, I want to still tackle important issues, but in a way that hasn't been said a million times. Yeah. Just kind of this is totally out of left field, but I'm I'm reading this book. Um, what is it called? It's uh, it's bulletproof your life or something like that. It's this former C- I think uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's this former secret service agent. And she's just, she's very, you just like, you could tell she's been in the secret service, just extremely prepared for everything. And the whole thing is about being prepared for different situations and both mentally as well as physically. And so one of the, one of the things that she talked about, she's the, the chapter that I'm reading is about how she did polygraph tests and like was constantly administering those. And uh, she's like, you know, people would would uh would be a lot happier if they knew that on average people are lying at least 1 to 10 times per conversation they have and i was like yikes wow. really <laughs> and she's like she's like usually you know on on average people are telling between between 10 and and 100 lies a day and i was like are you serious that's that's pretty intense <laughs> and so when you say you know cliches of lying it's it's kind of funny because it is kind of a cliche it's like everyone everyone lies about something at some point even if it's even if it's not meant to be malicious it's always just it's there you know yeah so, yeah sorry that was out of left field but it was just something that, right, that kind of came in came into my mind but uh i uh you know one last f- in terms of of talking about the project i, I want to kind of get your you know advice that you would give to, to someone who, um, who wants to pursue something like you've done, obviously you've done multiple facets within the music industry in terms of, of you've created the music, you've, you've done the music production, but you're also doing the, the, uh, the TV slash entertainment Mm -hmm. side of, of that. So what, what kind of advice would you give to someone who, who wants to kind of pursue that, that direction? I mean, I think the the best advice is tell them up front, listen, this is your life now. It is, you know, 90% of your time is going to have a lot of ups, but it's going to have a lot of downs. Um, I remember uh, Dave Grohl once said if he ever, if he had to do everything all over again, knowing what he knows now, he probably wouldn't do it. Um, just cause of how much work it's going to take. And I yeah, don't want to say that to quote unquote arrived. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to say anything that's going to deter someone, but understand if you take this route, everything will change and it is your life. Yeah. And it's, it, there's, there's, there's going to be like ups and downs with anything you choose, but ultimately, uh, from, from all of the, the, you know, conversations I've had, yeah. really, it comes down to the ups outweigh the downs because you're pursuing something that's more than just a yeah. financial end. Right. Yeah. And you have to be okay with rarely seeing your family. I know a lot of people, you know, I had a buddy who came on tour with us to be a roadie and he's in a band and he loves being in a band. He always wanted to do these tours and, you know, we were, on like a four month leg of our tour. And after month number two, he was like, listen, I can't be away from everyone anymore. I have to go home. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to do that. Yeah. That's brutal. <laughs> and you have to like fast food. <laughs> yeah. you, you have to, you have to develop a, an iron stomach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I always like to, uh, to finish off my podcast, which is random little trivial questions. Do you still have a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. So the first question I always ask everyone, this is just because of the kind of sweet tooth I have. What is your favorite candy? I would have to say the best candy is take five, which now I think they rebranded as a Reese's take five because not many people knew about it. But on that note, 
I did grow up in the town that made the M&Ms. Really? Yeah, I grew up next to M&M Mars in Hackettstown, New Jersey. So every Sunday morning, it smelled like chocolate. Dude, that would be, that'd be amazing and also like really challenging to be smelling. Yeah, it was good. I do like <laughs> Snickers, so. Okay. <laughs> so the Take 5, that's the, uh, the pretzel caramel... Yep. Okay. It's like the Snickers on crack. I love how I love how it wasn't just like a my favorite is. It was a definitive the best is. Yeah. I like I like the confidence. I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. So so for yourself, this is going to be an interesting one. I, I we may actually have already answered it, but uh, where you're so heavily involved in music, this one may be interesting. What is your favorite non musical hobby? Watching horror movies. Okay. Well then, uh, yeah, a, Oh, go on. I'm a big fan of horror movies. Um, I recently started getting back into gaming and I'm trying to get into PC gaming as well. So I've kind of been nerding out over that. Heck yeah. Dude. Um, but I mean, a lot of times it's like when I am not working, I don't want to think about anything. So I just put on a movie instead. Cause I don't have to think about anything. Okay. Well, I'm going to have two follow-up questions because I've, right. I've recently started the PC gaming world as well. I uh, I just I built my own PC a few months ago, and it's yep. been great. <laughs> but I've the, done uh, that. <laughs> so the first question is, what's your favorite horror movie then? It's one of those questions that I always answer something, and then I'll remember a movie a week from now, and I'll be like, <laughs> Now that was the correct answer. Um, so I like to break it down into a few categories. My favorite classic horror movie would probably be either The Shining or the original Poltergeist. Okay. My favorite more modern horror movie would be Insidious. And my favorite modern horror creators would be the director and writer James Wan and Blumhouse. Dang. You know your stuff. Yeah, I've thought about this. <laughs> Yeah, this one's this one's always a funny topic for me because my sister in law and my brother in law they love they love horror movies they love the scary stuff I can't do it I just like I'm a little baby who cries himself to sleep not really actually cries himself to sleep but I (laughs) I get like terrified of scary movies yeah I just get scared I'm just I'm a big wuss and so so uh, yeah you know your stuff (laughs) yeah. Um, all right. And so the, uh, the fault, the other follow-up question is, uh, with the video games, what, what kind of PC gaming are you, uh, have you gotten yourself into? I mean, my favorite, uh, game franchise would have to be gears of war. Oh dude. Um, and nice. I've recently downloaded, uh, what is it? Steam. So I've downloaded a few horror PC only games. I just have yet to get into them. Okay, which ones? But I just you got my ultra wide monitor, so oh, once nice. I do, I'm in it. Oh, that's awesome, man! Which which games did you get? Which horror games? Oh my god, I can't even remember. I know just like one of them is you're thrown into this room, and a lot of them were like horror escape games, kind of like Resident Evil oh, survival okay. games. Yeah, um, I was never a huge fan of MMORPGs like World of Warcraft. Yeah. I haven't gotten into those. the original Warcraft back okay. in the day. Yeah, man. I was um, big into those. Yeah. A lot of those strategy games. Like, uh, I, I played more, um, age of empires, but War, okay. Warcraft I mean, was, I was awesome. a huge runescape player back oh, in the day. Nice. Even though I say I don't like MMORPGs, <laughs> but no. Yeah. I mean, now I just kind of like streamlined games or slightly open world. Like, yeah, there's this really good indie game called we happy few oh which my. someone told me about that one it conception i mean it's listed as a horror survival but it's not really scary except for the fact that you realize this could happen especially the way <laughs> things are going right now isn't it the pills like isn't it have to do yeah, with like the medication it's about, like it's post-world war ii and you know something happened with everyone's kids and the government requires them to take these pills every hour to stay happy and forget the past and if you don't you're excommunicated and Dang. it's like the movie equilibrium or the book anthem by ann rand which i didn't read but i was supposed to read in high school <laughs> i just know the plot yeah ayn rand man th- those books are those are tough to get through they're, yeah they're big they're long 
and they use some yep. really just words that just aren't normal English. So now, because <laughs> he Ayn Rand, that was Fountainhead, and right, like I'm gonna be honest, I don't know much about books. I'm a writer, but I hate to read. <laughs> so what do you wait? You um, obviously you write music. Do you, do you write like literature as well? Oh no. Oh okay. I mean, I do want to do an album that goes along with a, a comic book type of thing. I've oh, already had so dope covers written up because I started at one point, just other things to control. Um, but one day I'll get around to it, bro. If, when you do that, I will be all <laughs> over that. That is such Sounds a cool good. idea. Like, cause I love conceptual albums anyway, mm-hmm. where it's very story oriented and, and just flows really well. Yeah. But the idea of having like a comic book, like, dude, that's just such a rad idea. No yeah, one steal I mean, it. Cause that's cool. It, it's not original. <laughs> I will say, Years ago, Corey Taylor from Slipknot did it. It's oh, called The House of Golden Bones. Okay. I mean, he's um, he's freaking talented, yeah. so. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, and he's he's got quite a bit of, uh, quite a few resources to probably have done a insane job on it, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, awesome, man. Dude, that was a ton of fun getting to know you and, and talking about the project. I, I want to, to commend you because, like I said, um, you know, in April when, uh, when the EP dropped, I was, I listened to it quite a few times. I really, really enjoyed it and I'm still enjoying it, honestly. And, uh, I really enjoyed the, the garden statement part one as well. I'm excited for what's to come with those. And, and, uh, I just wanted to let you know, you're doing awesome work and, and, uh, keep it up, man. Hey, thank you very much. And and thanks for taking your time out of the day as well to, to hop on this and interview me. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah, man.